All right, welcome back to the On Your Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway, and I'm here with my co-host, Kenny. Mm-hmm. And today we have, honestly, one of the best players in the last several years. This guy has completely taken over Yu-Gi-Oh! If you are competitive in any way, shape, or form in this game, you know exactly who this man is. He has a ton of accomplishments, including two YCS wins, a UDS win, and he has probably gotten the most second places in a year. Uh, just with this year, honestly, it's Jesse Cotton, ladies and gentlemen. He is here with the I'm There podcast. How are you feeling, Jesse? Hey. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling all right. Just got back from the German YCS two days ago, um, but ready for the next event already. Ready for the next one already. I mean, it is... Honestly, at this point, I don't even know. I was just saying, like, right before this, right before this recording, like, how do you even begin to travel and get ready for all these events? Because honestly, they're all different formats. I feel like these last several YCSs that you've been to, uh, Minneapolis, Pasadena, and now Dortmund, back to back to back, essentially, they're all very different, aren't they? Uh, the Pasadena one and the Dortmund weren't that different. And to be honest, if Dortmund wasn't the same as Pasadena, I probably wouldn't have gone because that one's a larger time commitment. And I really wasn't overly prepared for Minnesota, and that's my refl- my my uh, results reflect that. So how did you do? I mean, no matter what, I have these are concessions. Uh, yeah, I, I went X three drop round nine that's with two buys so not good it's four three total pretty much ah yes but even still even with that you still managed to get second and uh was it pasadena i was there for that one um you also got second at niagara right and did you get second what what all events did you get second at because i know it's a lot um so twice this year then twice in 2019 i got second at sydney with thunder dragons and second at the 3v3 in atlanta with thunder dragons Okay, so that if you had won every single tournament that you got second, how many wins would you have? Uh, seven. Jesus Christ. And you currently have three? Yeah. Okay, so that's still insanely good. Like, you have three wins. You have the UDS belt, which is honestly the most coveted prize in all of Yu-Gi-Oh, in my opinion. It's sick. I mean, outside of a world championship, it's definitely the, 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 the yeah. one win. Yeah, I guess that is. Okay, yeah. The world championship, even though Americans don't win that, so in my head, it's not even a thing. <laughs> I'm not American. I, I know. Oh. <laughs> in, in my, but that's what I'm saying. In my head, it's not a thing because I'm American. But you're Canadian. So in your world, Sahabi has won for you guys already. Um, I don't know if there were any other Canadian world champions. Oh. Yeah. So, so you guys had Sahabi. And that that opened the doors for at least uh, someone in North America to have a win at Worlds. But yeah, Americans have not been able to touch that. What do you, I guess since we're, we're randomly on that topic, what do you think? Because you've been to Worlds. You've competed in Worlds. What year was that? Uh, 2017, 18, and 19. Oh, Jesus Christ. How, how did... Okay, you... <laughs> I like I like how Frederick said, what year was that? And he was like, well, there was three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so how did you do at Worlds? What's your best placement? We don't have to go through all of them, but how did you uh, do at Worlds? Top eight, yeah. And what do you think makes Worlds such a difficult tournament? Because it seems like the best players that I know... Like, I don't know the um, foreign... It just feels players. like... A mess of a tournament i've had like you need to go x1 to consistently top like the x2 top you, you're damn lucky because one person does it right um so that's not real it was already, really. already a bad structure the fact that like it's not spread properly where you know a certain record top certain record doesn't um like five rounds leaves so much variance into it and then like the mixture of the ocg and J- japanese rulings also just makes a mess for like one of them i just straight up didn't top because there was a messed up ruling and they, they realized afterwards they effed up the ruling i'm like okay well i just lost the round because of it but okay 
Like, that's it, terrible for worlds. Yeah. Um, By any chance, do you remember what that ruling was? Because I'm sure people. Oh yeah, they, um, they they ruled that Thunder Dragon Titan, which says on the card, it cannot be special summoned except by fusion summon, could be summoned back with a monster born S card. Because in Japan, it was worded differently, and it isn't worded differently. It was a translation error that like they made, and then I just got screwed. And, uh, like yeah, hmm, that sounds a little bit more shady than I expected it to. Like that, I don't think it was shady, but like. I think it was just a translation issue with like it was two two English players. It was me versus Josh Schmidt. Okay, that's still weird but though. They, they, a... But the thing is, Josh did that play because at the player brief they said he could, which they shouldn't have told him he could. Right. They said it to everyone they could, but like I knew the ruling didn't make sense, so I still appealed it anyway, and I got to appeal it wrong. And after the event, they said, "Yeah, I was wrong." Why after the event though? How long after the event? Like, what are we talking? I think after. I don't know if it was after Swiss. I don't really remember. But so it was still at the event though. Like at the actual event, they they realized sure. that it was wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, that doesn't see. That doesn't make sense to me. But yeah, at least at least it wasn't like you playing against someone who is from the OCG, right? And then they make that ruling because that would look crazy. And in my head, that's what I thought. No, you no, were no. That, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. No. Okay. Okay. Well, that's 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 still interesting. But it still yeah. sucks. But no, I, I don't it know does, if it was foul play. But it was it was definitely a shitty situation. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, so, the biggest thing is just with a small tournament, the variance gets to you a lot. Yeah, and you are playing uh, theoretically. You are playing against some of the best people in the entire world. So there's like oh, that. Yeah. It has its own little meta too, right? Because like they give you a special ban list for worlds, so it's not even what you're used to. In most years, it's not what you're used to. Like mm-hmm. it's not exactly like every deck. Know of the decks, but they're all kind of neuter. Honestly, yeah, world decks right look pretty ass. With- the year I topped was the year that it was pretty much the same as the TCG format. Yeah. It's hard to test, like, not having any sort of data to see what people are playing or... Right, you're going to have blind. events. And while my theory is solid, I still very much prefer having some experience behind the deck to get an event. I'm yeah. better in those situations, but what can you do? Um, so, speaking is. of having experience, so you played... So you played Danger Tier Elements to get second in Niagara, right? Yeah. And everyone was like, that's the best version of the deck. It's not even close. Like, I was listening to uh, the TCG experience with Jake Quincy, and he was talking about, like, Runic Sprite and, uh, like, all those different decks and how good they were. But, like, Danger Tier Elements is probably just the best deck, but he still chose to play Sprite and stuff like that. I think uh, it's silly, but yeah. You said what? I think it's silly, but yeah, I, I think Danger Tier was a clear best deck there. You, so you think that the runic the runic sprite deck was just not even in the same level? Like you think they were blatantly? It's a just... deck you 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 play like if you want to get the top cut because that deck punishes players who don't know what they're doing against it. But if you're playing against a more competent player, like they just know the deck's flaws. Right. That's interesting. So yeah. I mean, and and also I mean I did hear that the danger tier element deck had a higher ceiling, quote unquote. Right. So like oh, significantly higher. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. Significantly higher. There we go. Talk that shit. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, I really like the danger, the danger to element deck, but then that quickly. So exo sister, like, obviously we know the story with that one, uh, D shifter, you know, pretty much just game if they have it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And going from that runic sprite, then proceeds to win in Europe with Josh Schmidt getting his third YCS win. Um, and he had a runic sprite. Uh, yeah. Well, that's because of a banless change. Right. So, right. So snow got banned, uh, which yeah. honestly is that is actually huge because I know that you you kind of innovated yeah. you innovated a lot of the stuff with like snow and how ridiculous that card is. That card should never have come back in the first place. But not as much with this deck uh, in specific, but with uh, 
in the, in the past with Thunder Dragons, I was more kind of leading the way. Yeah, I was very, very good in this danger tier deck still, even if you yeah. weren't getting banished effects. Yes, like booking a monster and also being able to search it, like send it to the graveyard at will, like all the things you could do with it. That card is just insane. Um, but what do you think about the way the meta has been changing between each event? Because it seems like to me, like on the outside looking in, right, you go from the tier element sprite deck is like those were those two were going head to head. And then you had Minneapolis come around where Chris LeBlanc won with the tier elements getting their new fusion monster and a card that he played three of that most people just apparently didn't even know that it how it works like i forget what i forget exactly what the name of it is it's not it's the spell card that uh sends one to the grave and then like you you can summon it and send it to the grave so you can summon oh, Rhino Horse and that one he played three of it and he was saying like most people didn't even know how that card actually worked um mm -hmm. and he won with that deck and then right after that the ashizu cards come out and then a format gets like a bit different because tier gets buffed and the, the fake decks. And what I mean by fake decks are like, honestly, every deck that's not playing a cards, I consider just be a fake deck at that point. Uh, because literally turn one, if, if you're playing like Flunderies or something and your shit gets milled, you might be out the game right there. Like it. And if they know you're not playing that you're pretty much out the game. So how do you feel about just having to adapt over and over and over again? Because sure, you know, you missed a top cut um, when you went X and three, but then you bounce right back and have been topping like every event since then consistently. It's hard and you have to manage your time appropriately um, and know your own limitations for myself. I knew that I didn't have the time to test much for Minnesota and still went, had a little bit of practice, but uh, had to rely a lot on other people and instinct and didn't work out the best, but I knew fully well that, I couldn't have managed my time in a way that I'd be more prepared for that event. That's sacrificing in other areas of my life, not even just Yu-Gi-Oh events. So I chose a more effort into the, this, I guess the format that would have two events, Germany and Pasadena back to back. Right. Um, and that also fought like, isn't, isn't over even now. Like there's still Costa Rica for me next weekend. Um, and then who knows how long until this deck gets hit. So it has right. a lot more. And it is a remote. Potential behind it. Do you play in a remote YCSs too? I'm really enjoying this format, so I might, but I probably wouldn't if I didn't enjoy the format. Okay, so typically you don't really like remote. I mean, I don't really know if many people like them, but yeah. <laughs> but like it, it, this format, how do you feel about the Ashizu stuff since it came out? Do you feel like it warped the game so much that it made it where matches are a bit more controllable? I find, I feel like I already know the answer to this question only because you've been doing so well since it came out that I don't really think that it's a problem. Yeah, for you, I mean, per it, se. It's definitely warped the game. Like it's a tier zero format. That's, yep. I guess, for sure. Uh, it's a pretty healthy one in the sense that the actual mirror itself is pretty solid. Um, there's a lot going on, so you have to be pretty on top of it. And of course, if both players perfectly, it's going to be luck. But it's like that with any mirror match. It's just this one has a pretty high like skill ceiling. So right. um, there's a lot of opponents who will make small mistakes that could caught could. could like, you know, cost them the match. Um, even myself made some errors that almost cost me matches throughout the, the tournaments. Or, uh, honestly, that's super rewarding and something that I think most players will enjoy at a high level. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it right now. I yeah. agree with that. When you, the, the, the thing you said that struck me the most in that was if both players in a tier zero format, like obviously mirror matches, if they play perfectly, it, it's a lot more luck based. But the truth is, that's rarely the case. So rarely. 
Our both players are going to play absolutely perfect. Turn after turn, yeah. interaction after interaction. And the Ashizu tier deck has a lot of interactions, it looks like. Like, yeah. there are multiple points where you can yeah. drop a bestial monster. You can do... Do, do you want to use the effect of this guy at all that you, you just mill? Do you want to mill both yeah, players for five? There are definitely several layers. And, like, in my match versus Connie, for example, played well. So I needed... I couldn't just rely on playing better to get ahead in the game. Um, and my luck didn't pan out, so him playing properly and me just not hitting it as well is a, a lost game. Uh, so yeah, but it, overall, there are many even top cut matches where I've had people give away the win just because they make one small ish, make mistake. Did you recently, speaking of one small mistake or like things that kind of throw away games, did you recently watch the top four of well, you were there, right? At Dortmund? or Yeah, Dortmund. I was on the, the train to Frankfurt because that's where I was flying out of. So I didn't actually watch okay. the, so anything past top eight. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was Joshua Schmidt versus the actual winner. Um, and they ended up going at a time. And that, that was a whole big fiasco. And we'll talk about time in a little bit. But uh, apparently people were saying, like, the match, even though Josh lost in time, there were a lot of misplays in the game, and I, I did see some from the guy who eventually won. I'm not sure of all of like Josh's misplays, whatever they be actual speed of play and things like that. But I think obviously managing your time in Yu-Gi-Oh right now is legitimately a skill in itself because yeah, it's a bit scary, but yeah, that that is very much a thing. Yeah, like you literally have to just be on top of it. But yeah, I mean the interactions with the the Ishizu tier deck, like going back and forth. Um, the chain like just structuring your chain links chris leblanc was talking to me honestly the night before pasadena started so friday night of pasadena he was telling me how some people don't even know how the chain links will work when a player like mills and then they mill both people and you have all your things and the opponent can do their things but sometimes people don't realize that if you don't declare all your effects and your opponent if you let your opponent declare one of theirs then like you can't declare any of yours after that so it's like a whole thing with that and just like honestly a lot of ruling things that he was trying to explain that people don't know i wonder if rulings are playing a big factor in any of the high level matches now like do you find yourself ever in having high, any wins in because- yeah in high level no um i don't think i've had any opponents after the first few rounds right but at, issue uh, yeah but in the early rounds like definitely people don't know exactly how like some cards yeah, it requires a pretty good understanding of the mechanics to Yu-Gi-Oh, especially like chain links and how turn player and, and ignitions and triggers work yeah, the types of effects. It's not simple, but I think like it's like a bit of math work. You just studied a bit and some repetition, and I'll start making some sense. Yeah. So the players you have put in the time and tried, like, or more dedicated to the game, they'll figure it out, and it shouldn't be an issue after the the first few like, mistakes. How do you prepare for events? Like, what do you do? Do you have? I'm assuming you have a testing group. Um, you could say who's in it, or you could choose not to, whatever. But I'm assuming you have some kind of testing group, and then, but there's like multiple layers to testing for events. So there's like the deck building phase. There's also the actual testing phase. There's knowing what to side deck, uh, siding like time cards. Like all there's a lot that goes into being competitive right now. But how do you? What is your process for preparing for a YCS? Um, unfortunately, I'm pretty sloppy and lazy. Uh, I do have testing group, and it's like currently trying out new things as well, like new, like adding more people to try and make up for a kind of how bad we've been recently. Mm-hmm. Just the not finding the time to properly practice to to sort everything out. Like 
just being lazy in general, like, okay, let's not test the side deck until the day of the event type thing. Which, <laughs> just, I mean, we all have other, like, other things going on in our lives. Yeah. So it comes hard for us. Um, and we play so, much, so many events that we have to make concessions in some area. And sometimes it's, okay, we're not going to fully commit ourselves to the event. And we're going to do some testing. And we won't be like off, like, we won't be unprepared. We're not going to be like fully, fully prepared. Right. We should be if we at a competitive level. So you're saying um, that you do play events in, in even a recent in a recent couple of months where you feel like you could have done things better had you known what you I don't know think at- there's been an event in three years where I have felt like I've been fully fully prepared to be okay. honest. That's actually good to hear, only because in my head, I was worried that perhaps the Yu-Gi-Oh players who are competitive right now don't and I'm not saying this as a dig to you guys, but I was wondering if you guys did have lives outside of Yu-Gi-Oh! Like, <laughs> and I say that because, you know, you guys are going to literally, like, every event, um, there's a lot of them now, too, because you guys are going to the foreign ones. It's not just like, yeah. if you just went to yeah. the U.S. ones, that'd be one thing. I was going to say, like, you were just in Germany, and you said you're gearing up to go to Costa Rica next week. This so weekend, yeah. Like, you're, this... Yeah, you're, you're a world warrior. And I wanted to ask, because yeah. it sounded like you had a rush, you were... You know, if I understood correctly, basically rushing out of Germany. When you travel to all these places, do you ever get time to like appreciate Germany or Costa Rica or any of the other countries? Yes. No, I was gonna get to that actually. Part of the traveling is the social and the travel aspect. So Germany, Europe is kind of awful with the way they structure things. They host their events in like suburbs, pretty much like middle of nowhere. Mm. Um, it's cheaper. So, like for example, the Milan YCS. I flew to the Milan airport, which I didn't realize was the wrong airport. You're supposed to fly to the Malpensa airport, which is farther away and not actually in Milan. Um, and like it was 140 euro for me to get to the venue because it was not in Milan. Wow. Um, it was just disgusting. But and then it was called RCS Milan, right? Yes. And then it's not in Milan. And then right. like you're at the venue and the closest food option was an American barbecue, 20 minute walk away. And then after that, it's another ten minutes into McDonald's. Like it's not Milan. It there's it's it literally emptiness. Right. So whereas in America, you go to Pasadena, there was nothing but restaurants and stores in Pasadena. It, it depends. Yeah, it depends on the location because U.S. is still hit or miss. Like Hartford was. I mean, Hartford was in downtown Hartford, but it wasn't a good city to pick in yeah. terms of doing things. Um, like Niagara was was nice. There's the Niagara Falls. There's the tourist area. Like we were on the strip pretty much. Yeah. Um, Minneapolis. But literally. Europe is the worst of that. London is closer, um, and it's at a Comic-Con, so there's stuff to do. But, like, Portland, I've been to the area before. They put it in a spot where there's not much going on. The town's pretty quiet, and things are typically closed and like pretty early, or on Sundays even. So there's not much going on. And if so you're basically spend- saying, yeah, for that, for that specific trip, like the Germany one, this wasn't the trip to, like, enjoy the area because the area wasn't really anything to enjoy. If if I was going to do something in Germany, I would have stayed in Frankfurt where I was flying out of anyways. Mm-hmm. However, being given that it was like right after Pasadena and then I'm flying to Costa Rica and I had to turn off my, like, my, my TCG player store, which is my main source of income for like a week already. I didn't want to have it off for even longer. So I wanted to make that trip as short as possible. I've also like spent maybe a week and a half in Berlin um, before for an event. So I feel like I had seen a bit of Germany and obviously that's not a very, very different part of Germany, but I have yeah. to pick and choose what I what I commit to. But yeah, for Costa Rica, I'm flying in on the Wednesday, and then on the Thursday, I've booked a tour ready with myself and three others. Uh, we awesome. we have a tour a tour bus picking us up, driving three hours 
to a volcano in the rainforest. Ooh. We're doing hiking, oh, that is really cool. hot springs, and then visiting a coffee plantation. Um, and it's a full day excursion. So that, yeah, and that sounds like... I'm sorry, did you say coffee really plantation? Cool I, I was yeah. waiting for Fraser to say something. It's just because like that, you know, plantation is a strong word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, was like, I, I know, I know. But I, I really hope that's not in that, in that No, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously joking, but like, I don't even know. I didn't, first of all, I didn't know that I didn't know that that was even a thing, like a, a coffee plantation. That's such a, such a, a funny, but, but <laughs> either way, it, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. No, but that's awesome. So you, you are, when, when the time calls for it, you are enjoying yourself when you travel and like sightseeing and going on tours. Cause that sounds really Absolutely. fun. That sounds like a vacation. Like yeah, Costa Rica cool. yeah. sounds. I try to do that whenever I can. Like yeah. even, yeah. So I'm, I already have it booked for Sydney going and that's an expensive one so i'm trying to make the most out of it yeah sydney i heard silverman was telling me that because he wanted to go really bad and he said that the flights and the price it was like three thousand three thousand dollars when he was looking yeah yeah but for me i'm very interested in my two favorite things probably outside like hobby wise would be nature and history Mm -hmm. so the nature aspect i've never been to the great barrier reef before and i'm in sydney it's a two-hour plane ride north to like north of australia to visit it and um for me, that's like, okay, I'm already so close. So just make a trip out of it and go there. Yeah, because how often are you going to be along. in Australia, right? Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, that's pretty good. And what I was going to say is, so you, I would say you have a pretty good grip on the format with just result being results oriented right now. You seem to know what you're doing well enough. And I don't know if there's any sets coming out before these events that would change anything. So you kind of know what the meta is. Like, obviously it's always slightly evolving, but you, you know how to play your deck. And yeah. you're probably getting better at choosing cards for your deck going forward. But I'm saying all of this to say you don't have to test as much as you did. Like when the cards first came out, like Pasadena, you know, first event, yeah. you don't know what people's decks are going to look like. You don't know what's going to be refined and what's not going to be refined. But now I think that by Costa Rica and by Sydney, you'll probably have a really good idea. Of like, okay, I don't have to like put 10 hours a day into it. Like how often am I, you know, you know, you know what you're doing. So that, that, yeah. does, that does help a bit. I don't know what I'd do if it was the format kept changing very frequently like it was before. Yeah. Because maybe I'd be less invested to go to events because I just don't have time to prepare. Yeah. But then they have the fear of missing out, you know, the FOMO. And yeah. uh, that hits me a lot because my friends all travel. And then, like, <laughs> that sucks for me. I'm, I definitely wouldn't get the results that I do because I, I, I feel like a, a bit of a longer stretch isn't necessary for myself, at least, to kind of figure it out. So do you think you have strong fundamentals because it it sounds like like i know you test obviously but you don't test nearly as much as i thought that you did so now i'm wondering do you do you attribute a lot of your Yu-Gi-Oh success to just having really really good fundamentals of the game itself or at this you... point yeah my instincts are strong that's because i have put in a lot of time in the past right so you did put in the work already and now you're kind of like riding the coattails of that work and it's yeah kinda... and i mean there are mistakes and small uh, small things I miss for sure from time to time, and sometimes mm-hmm. I'll be very wrong because I trust my instincts too much. But for the most part, like it's good enough for me. Are there any of these finals that you've gotten second in that you feel like you could have won in hindsight? Uh, yeah, Niagara, I got two out, but I could have won game one if I knew a, knew a ruling. Ooh, I didn't know how the exercise just worked properly. So let me hear it. I have to remember exactly. Nash pointed it out to me. Um, I just didn't know the. Um, just the way the Exorcist was triggered, I didn't know if they were like tier effects that have to go immediately, or they could be like a torrential where they could be later in the chain as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
if they were a trigger ignition. Um, and I pretty much could have blocked them with this super poly, and I just didn't because I didn't know that's how it worked. Uh-huh. I think that's how. To, it's a little more complicated than that. Honestly, yeah, I don't remember. But, but, but I just know was, there was a thing I could have done. There was a there was a yeah a play I could have done to to lock off his chain links, that would have then resulted in me clearing the field and game one should have been a lock from that point. Right. So game one was winnable, and then game two, who knows what would have happened? But game you would have got a game, game two. Three. Yeah. So the way I look at it is that he would have got an extra game going first because game two is the game I went first and got shifted and died. So that if if I would have lost game two that he went first, a game three could have been would have been pretty much the same. I would have had to win a game where he went first again, which. As like I just could have is definitely not impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still thinking I'm, I'm unfavored, but uh, yeah, so, I, I had a chance to win. So that Exosister deck was geared to beat your deck hardcore. Like it was geared to beat the tier element deck because there was, was nothing yeah. but tier elements in top eight. It was like Sprite, Exosister, and six tier elements. So yeah. he he had like the dream bracket, which is what you want when you make a deck that's that against the meta, like I speaking from experience, like I know what it's like to just play a super anti-meta deck going into a top cut. And it it's nice when it works out, like it, when it works out where you literally play against what you want, cause he could have also just played against a bunch of Sprite. And I don't think that that's the matchup that he wants to play against. And no. like things go differently, but do you ever, I guess I, I already know the answer to this too, but I'm just going to say anyway, you tend to play what is always considered the best deck like every time I see you top, it's usually like this is the deck that the best players are playing, the people with the highest ceiling, the people who can handle the highest decision making. And you I don't see you finding yourself playing like an Exo Sister deck or a uh invoke deck or and like the what's that zombie, that fucking big zombie thirty five hundred guy or twenty five, he becomes thirty five. Yeah, like you never play that type of stuff. Like I don't I see almost you... played Eldritch and Rio, but I Actually, it's not fully true. My reason behind playing a lot of these decks is not that I think it's the best. Or a lot of the times that lines up. But honestly, it's really hard for me to play a deck I don't enjoy. Because I'm mm-hmm. not committed to practicing, to testing, or learning the deck. And with how little I already play, I need to at least be motivated to understand it better. So I'll almost always pick a deck I enjoy more. Because I found in the past when I forced myself to play what I thought the best deck was, it did not do well. Um, and... That's obviously not ideal, so when I do force myself to play the best deck, it has to be for an event I care very, very much about, and I force myself to practice, because otherwise I'm inclined to just not care about the event as much. Did you like Sky Strikers? No. That's the oh, that's like the exception to my rule. With Sky Striker, yeah, I cared so much about going to world. Yep, I thought about this. I forced myself nonstop to practice. I do not like that deck. I... That's why, that's only, that's why the, the next day, for Nationals, I was locked for world. I didn't give a shit. I was just playing Thunder Dragons. So I was at the Nationals. This is 2019, I believe. I, I remember yeah. watching you play. Yeah, and that's actually what I was referring to was the last deck where I put in perfect effort because the thing I cared about. I unfortunately did not even put in the perfect effort for Worlds. I was so fatigued from Nationals. <laughs> so that I event was, was, yeah. I could tell because when I saw you play Sky Striker and fucking Nationals 2019 and that playoff thing, I was like, this does not seem like a deck that Jesse would play. Like it just seemed weird to me watching you pilot it. Mind you, you, you know, you, you're good with it still. And I think that that's when you were doing that, like weird utopia thing or some shit. Yeah. Utopia double where people were just dying. Like you just, yep. just you just like OTK them. And I was at the event. I was just there to chill because it was in Pittsburgh, I believe, which is I'm in PA. So it's already close yeah. to me. Um, my friends were like, Hey, we're all going to go to Pittsburgh for nationals. You should come even though you don't play. And I, you know, I came to hang out, but I ended up watching, the playoffs and I saw you using that and it, I could, I could literally, the only reason why I specifically said, how do you like sky strikers is because I just felt like in that room watching you play, I was like, this is not the deck that this guy 
wants to be playing right now, but he is doing it for a very specific goal. And I understand doing that as well. Yeah. Like sometimes as Yu-Gi-Oh players, we have to make those kind of concessions to just, you know, like this is what it is. I'm going to do this. Um, it's always going to be a trade-off at some point. And usually I'll pick what I enjoy most, but what I yeah. really care about the event, and a YCS isn't going to be that because I go to so many. Yes. What I really care, I will sacrifice some enjoyment because what I really want is the, the placement. So yeah, I would probably only be for Nationals and Worlds um, or if they ever hold that like grand UDS tournament that I'd really put the effort into again and willing to be play a deck I just actively don't enjoy. Oh, the grand UDS tournament. Is that what you said? Yeah, it's just not really what it's called. We don't even know what it's called. No, but no, no, before, but I'm saying, I, I know what yeah. you meant when you said it. Like, it would be all the UDS champions, right, at that tournament. They announced that before COVID, and then they said they'd host it before the UDS belt expires, so within the next three or four years. So who knows, but yeah, it'll be all the UDS champions. I wanted to bring something up real quick that you said that I find interesting. That's the the concept of you playing decks that you that you enjoy, that you find really fun, but they also happen to be one of the best decks, right? And it's something that I think is interesting because in a lot of competitive, always, yeah, 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 and a lot of competitive thing, things though, where when you talk about games, there's this stigma that comes up where people say like, "Oh, well, I just play for fun." Like, how come you guys don't play for fun? Like, you take the fun out of it. And I think something a lot of people don't understand is. A lot of times, the people that are the most competitive, like Kobe Bryant, also found basketball fun. Like, yes, when, that when, helps when a you, lot. <laughs> when you like the reason why it just so happens that usually the thing that is the best, not all the time, but there's a lot of times the thing that is the best is also the most fun to play because there ha- it has the most depth to it. Like, just to bring it to something that you may not may or may not be familiar with, but like in melee, yeah, I'm familiar Fox, with melee. Fox McCloud is the best character in the game, arguably, and some people hate that. And they hate that some people play them and they say like, oh, you're just a try hard. You're not playing for fun. But what I think people miss is that Fox McCloud's also really fun to play. That's why so many people enjoy playing them and playing in that level. And yeah, that's like, I don't even play like melee anywhere close to like competitive, but Falco and Fox stuff my go to is the most fun. Yeah, they're yeah, really, really so cool. And so yeah. that's something I, I think is cool that you said. It's like you had a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times you happen to be playing a very strong deck or one of the best decks. It's not necessarily because it's the best deck. It's it just also happens to be the deck that you find the most fun, and that's a concept that I think some people don't really uh, get or understand. Like competitive people are also playing for fun. That's why you're playing Yu Gi Oh and not poker. Yeah, I mean, I'm not playing this game for the prices. I, yeah, I <laughs> that's for damn sure. To it. Yeah, that, that is for damn sure. Uh, I'm going to ask a couple of quick fire questions real quick that are just like. I just want to know for me and for the listeners. So do you know how many tops you have at this point? Uh, yeah, 27. 27 tops. Okay, 27 yeah. tops, three wins. You've been to the final seven times. Yeah. Absurd. Okay, that's so like, again, we just had Chris LeBlanc on our, our, as our last guest. And I was telling him, like, obviously, he's in a conversation for best of all time at this point. He's been doing it for 10 years. Four YCS wins is fucking absurd. Um, and you are another player who's just like, absolutely ridiculous like i can't say it enough because i also knew you before you i knew you before you had a ycs win and you the interesting yeah we met just before that yes we met before you had a ycs win in fact when you were worlds grinding like you would stay over my house and like go to the regionals and philly and stuff like that and uh you know it's just interesting to see your growth as a player and i'm wondering 
like what happened or what what do you what do you think contributed to your success the most and like what flipped the switch for you because again i know you before you ever had a win but you were able to top events but then you've become so outrageously dominant and consistent in the last like five years and i'm just wondering if you if you have something that you can like quantifiably say like i realized this or i started doing this or like what because people are trying to understand like what makes Jesse Cotton work? Like what makes you such a good player? What makes you such a dominant player? And I don't even know if this is a question that's necessarily answerable. So I hate to put you on a spot like this. <laughs> it, is a, it is a very complex question. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't know if you, your work ethic changed. If like you started to care more, if you started to test more, if you got better testing group, like a testing group or like a methodology or something like, I don't know what it is, but I'm wondering what happened and like, where did it start to switch for you where you feel like, okay, like now I am like at some point you start to know, like I'm the shit, right? Yeah. Like you have, like you have to, <laughs> like, we're, we're, you know, I know we all like to be humble at times, but at the end of the day, like you are literally one of the best players to ever play Yu-Gi-Oh! So if at all possible, like, what would you say kind of contributed? And it doesn't have to be a fully like fledged essay answer, but like, what would you say um, changed for you? I don't know if anything changed. It was over time, right? I've been playing since Oh five. No, oh and Jesus like Christ! Gradual. I was five. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a gradual progression of different levels of me just growing up. Like learning how to read. I literally learned how to read. By yeah. Reading <laughs> yeah. Like my parents encouraged me to play because I'd learned basic math skills by playing and yeah. like reading skills. Um, and going to locals, and then I just went to locals with the best players in Canada, um, just by chance, and then eventually got better and then is, are the started going to more and more regionals like than YCS. The Lazaro, Dale Lazaro. Dale Lazaro. Yeah. I was going to say the Lazaro brothers. I don't know why I keep doing that. The Bolito brothers, yeah. but I always say Lazaro brothers. So dumb. Man, that's yeah, like, oh. It is so dumb. Yeah. We have been on this podcast twice now and I still say sometimes the Lazaro brothers. But yeah, so you were going to locals with like Dale, Matt Peddle, I'm assuming might have been there too. Yeah, yep, yep. Yep. So yep. Matt Peddle, Dale, Lazaro. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sorry if I'm missing. Oh, there's, there's many more, but I, yeah, we can go on for a while talking about the yes, old card but, guys. But yeah, so you were around a pool of amazing talent. Those are some of the best people who've ever played Yu Gi Oh as well. That so, helps foster the competitive environment and at least the very base fundamentals, whereas better than like a lot of other just local kids. Mm-hmm. I would have just gone to locals and nothing else. Yeah, no, that's this is crazy. I, I love then, hearing this yeah. stuff. How did, how did you find your locals at five years old? My, my dad. So, oh, that's all. So, yeah. So, my dad would spend uh, at that point uh, his weekdays working in Edmonton and the weekends back home. And his way of bonding with me was when I kind of showed him Yu Gi Oh! building a deck for him and me to play, play with. Um, he played Burn and then I played Chaos because I just had a. He, I, I, was play, I was playing traditional. I, I had pretty much CD in my goat deck. Um, he found the locals for us, and then next to the locals was also like a miniature racetrack shop, like those like little RC cars you can race on a track. Mm-hmm. So like we'd spend our Saturdays when he got home playing that first, grabbing lunch at Wendy's or McDonald's. A little kid, so excuse that. And then <laughs> and then playing locals um, afterwards. That was like my way of bonding with them. He oh, found that cool. one. This is wholesome as fuck. Yeah, I, that's I awesome. Not that's really, an awesome story. Can I just say, like, this is the most I've ever gotten to really know you on this level, and I, I'm like, one a bit shocked to just like it's so wholesome, but it's also, it's really nice to hear that one of the top players has had this like 
very regular experience because honestly, a lot of the community, what they do is like exaggerate things or just like attribute high level Yu-Gi-Oh players with being like robots, essentially. Like they think that high level Yu-Gi-Oh players just one only play Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, they don't they, they don't have time. a life outside of that. Um, but like you, 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 you know, you obviously do and you've lived a life and like you've had parents who helped to cultivate your your passion for the game and it's really nice to see how far you've come. Do your do your parents still follow you and like your journey? Like, do they know about all the things yeah. that you've accomplished and stuff like that? Yeah, I have a deep amount of gratitude for my parents. They've supported me so much, and it's the reason I'm able to do what I am. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents still follow. My mom doesn't really know what's going on. My dad like, has played the game. Yeah, um, he stopped playing in 2015. Uh, he no longer has to take me. Like, you know, he can leave me alone at events after that point. Didn't need yeah. to be with me. Um. He still like knows the fundamentals of the game to the point where I can tell him what's going on. He'll follow. That's good. That's really good. I have a similar relationship with my dad where he used to take me to locals when I was a child as well. He never really played the game, but he would watch and I would kind of explain to him what, what would be going on and try to try to explain it in like sports terms because my dad's huge in the sports. Yeah. But like my mom is the same way your mom is where she would be happy if I won something or did well. Like I come home with an iPad or an Xbox or something because I won some tournament at locals, and she'd be happy about it. But she had no idea what the hell I was fucking doing. Really, she just yeah. like she just be happy for me all the same. But my dad is like, yeah, man, he beat everybody's ass with these cards. Like he'd be so he'd be so happy and into it. My yeah. dad was just complaining to me that so he was watching the stream while top four and finals were going on. With my mom, my mom doesn't know what's going on, so my, he had to explain to my mom the entire time. And apparently, my mom was like gagging from the nerves. Oh man! So yeah, the anxiety. Was, I can only imagine my, my my dad's nerves. And then she asked me after, like, "How do you deal with the anxiety of being up on stage?" I mean, I'm a competitor, so I'm used to it. Yeah, it's just funny. They they are very invested for sure. That is good. It's, that is really nice to have. What were you going to say, Kenny? I was going to say it's interesting because you know she she wouldn't know this or really like she doesn't have experience. But you kind of if you've been going to locals since you were five, even then, right, was probably nervous at some point playing at locals around oh, a bunch of older yeah. guys and everything, right? So in a small way, right? Like you play so much and you play around different people and you go to regionals. By the time you get to the stage you're on, like it's, it's so much easier. Like sure. There's still nerves and butterflies. Sometimes yeah, it but... goes back to the, what I was saying before the gradual process, right? I had gradual yep. nerves from turn locals round one to locals, finals, locals, top cut regionals, regional top eight, ICS top cut. And then mm-hmm. a, a gradual buildup and, and, yeah, if they threw five-year-old Jesse in, into the world stage, he wouldn't know what to do with himself. Of course not. I'd be scared mm. shitless. So I guess you already answered how did you how you started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And that essentially is like you were five years old and you just liked the game. Your dad was taking you to, to car stores and stuff like that. I, but, my best friend in kindergarten showed it to me and then showed it to my dad. And that's I guess that happened. is kindergarten, yeah. isn't it? Five years old. That is kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh that's interesting. Did you watch the anime at all? Oh really? I'm not I've never been a TV guy. Okay, so you don't really care for oh, so you don't care for anime in general, not even just the Yu-Gi-Oh anime, but just like anime. Uh, I've watched Yu-Gi-Oh and GX. Uh, they're both okay. Um, yeah, but a bit of nostalgia, but it's not from watching the anime originally. It's because I've grown up playing Yu-Gi-Oh. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, watched only anime. I've watched this Naruto. Okay, start like you've seen the whole thing. You've seen all of Naruto. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of my friends' closest like closest friends' favorite shows. So, yeah. so it, who's your favorite Naruto watched, character? I gotta ask. Ashikamaru. Ah, yes. A fucking course as we... The show. This is the laziness. Well, like, I'm not lazy, but I'm like, I don't, won't do work if I don't have to, so I'm not <laughs> going to, like, 
<laughs> work for no reason. I'm just gonna chill. I like this about I like knowing this about you that like Shikamaru is the character that you empathize with the most. You 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 see yourself most as like a Shikamaru type where he's exceptionally intelligent. And, and I'll I'll work my ass off when I have to. Oh, when clearly. I need to, I'll get I'll get shit done. That's like what I was gonna say next. That's like one of the other things that got me already was when something needs to be done, I'll make sure it gets done. Yeah. yeah. Um Okay, I have that same mentality because going through life, like I, you know, I went to college and I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh! at the same time and managing the, the two, like going to school, going to university and also traveling to events every weekend um, is, is hard for sure to not fail out of school. And also like my degree is a pretty tough one to get. Like accounting is honestly just I don't even want to get into all the details about that, but it is a very difficult undergrad degree to even get because you need 128 credits to get I, I don't one. know if you remember. I talked to you about that when I was staying at your house the first time because I was an accounting student. Oh, wow. And did you end up switching from that? It sounds like you did. Did switch to economics. Yeah, I just found it too boring. And honestly, I don't like economics either. I just don't like the math aspects. Yeah, it's, it's and, not fun. And, and honestly, in hindsight, and I said this on another episode of the podcast, in hindsight, I would not have majored in accounting if I could go back. Like if I could go, if I give any advice to people listening, do not major in accounting. Yes, it does pay well, but it is, like he said, it is pretty boring. And it's not something that I see myself doing for the rest of my life. Like honestly, especially now that the world has become, that you can monetize many things in the world now. In 2022, yeah. like you don't need to, like I still encourage people, if you want to go to school, go to school, but you don't need to go to school in today's world to be successful and to earn a living and things like that. Um, but that's a conversation for another time. But yes, I'm glad that you switched off of accounting because it is, it's just not it. If I can speak yeah. frankly, it's just not. I mean, I'm doing economics now and it's honestly not much better, but I have a month, to, <laughs> month till I graduate. So I'm just going to write it out, finish it and then be done. That's, that's good though. So you're going to finish university, finish school. Um, and then you are supporting yourself at the same time. You said you have a TCG player store, which is nice. Yeah. So you also, you know, you, you trade, you buy, sell Yu-Gi-Oh cards and whatever. And that's, that's a good, a lot of people that I know, I have a lot of friends into that business as well. Obviously I'm really close friends with Steve Silverman. He's one of the, like the biggest people as far as that goes. And like, I, I know Joey Chow, like so, so many people, so many people. Many, who are, yeah, many, many people. If you're yes. in the Yu-Gi-Oh space, you know, people. Yes. You know, everyone who's like doing it, George Furman, like there's so many, and I'm glad to see that you guys, some of the best players in the game are also able to support themselves with the game, which honestly is amazing because it wasn't always like this. Like it, it just wasn't like the money wasn't always there the way it is now. And now you guys are doing shit that we didn't even have at all. Like Metify. Uh, how is that? So I recently turned it off just because when my school semester started to back up again, I wanted to not overload myself. Yes. It's pretty solid. Um, I'm not sure what else I can say about it. It's a good source of income for me. It's not steady in the sense that it's consistent. I got maybe right. like 20 hours a month off it. Um, for the few months I've done it. And that's great as like a just a side. Yeah, just like, like something to subsidize. Just a little, yeah, like a little extra income every month. It's, from It's nothing insane, but it's just nice. Right. Yeah, because yeah, at the end of the day, so the way I see stuff like Metify. So Metify, for people, if you don't know, I'm just going to say it anyway. I always have to talk like this. But if you don't know what Metify is, it's a website where you can go and you can get players like Hani and, you know, Jeff Jones or people from Duelist Academy, Ryan Levine, like all those guys, um, Jesse Cotton. They can teach you Yu-Gi-Oh! And there's different like courses and levels and all types of stuff. And you can choose what tier you want to basically be taught at and you pay for it based on that and stuff. But what's cool about it is that it's a way for players like these top players to monetize their skill 
and teach people who want to learn. Now, the thing about it is Jesse's saying like he had to turn it off for school because at the end of the day, if he has a Metify, right, and it's Jesse Cotton teaching you, that is time out of his day that he has to teach someone. So if it's an hour session, like that's an hour out of the day. And so some people was like, oh, it's an hour to do something as easy as Yu-Gi-Oh, but it is still time. And as a person who does, like we do this podcast, it takes time to like research for the podcast, to like put together uh, actual talking points. Uh, it takes time to set up interviews with people. And I can imagine what Metify is, it's the same thing. And at the end of the day, you're only one person. So yeah, I'm, I still spend some extra time, like my opponent, not my opponent, my uh, student fourth like uh nope your opponent you hate every deck. you gotta kill them they're your opponent no matter um, what, everybody you pick up a car you're they, my opponent. Yeah, if they bring forward a deck i've never heard of before i'm gonna spend some time researching ahead of time yeah that's, that makes uh, sense that's time eaten up and then i'm talking for a majority of the session yes just tiring yeah you're a teacher at that point you're literally a teacher and even though yes we love Yu-Gi-Oh, and we can talk about Yu-Gi-Oh for hours but it is still a time sink and, and you're only one person. And I wish, honestly, the best thing would be, and we will be dead and gone by the time they come out with this, but like when we are able to clone ourselves, like have multiple assistants or versions of ourselves, that is the most ideal world because I'm sure, like in theory, you could have your Metafy running 24 hours a day if there was another version of you that could just manage that alone. Like people would love to be taught by you constantly if you had enough time to do so. Yeah, but that's when, clones, that's when your <laughs> clones rise up against you for like trying to control them and force on them to do all the menial work, and then then your clone kills you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh no! All right. Well, real quick. So I'm going to transition over to questions from our Discord. So there are people who have subscribed to our Patreon. I'm their podcast on Patreon.com. Uh, so real quick, before we get into that, I'm going to give a shout out to our Patreon members. Real quick, we have Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Xavier. Hylian, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett, Vinny Casello, Giovanni Avelos, Andre Reynolds, CJ, Dubkdad1, Dan Vrabel, First to Home, Dalis Farnaris, S. Akuma, Mitchell Niles, Midwest Gaming, William Shapiro, Dimitri Safiridis, Vince Marquette, Dallas Bailey, Roz Weiss, Nick Stango, Hansel, our two-time national champion, Vincent Zen, Sarah Maria, Sunny Top Cut Podcast, Alex Ahern, Philip Campa, Jalen Haskins, uh, Arale Melfi Slump, Dominic Couch, and Kang Petty, thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. We really appreciate it. As I always say, it goes a long way. Kenny and I are both very appreciative of you guys. So we, we for the first time ever, set up a channel. Well, honestly, Dominic Robert, shout out to you because you've been uh, doing a great job of like acting as mod for the I'm Their Podcast Discord server. But we set up a channel that now has guest questions. So people can ask questions to guests that we're going to have on. Normally, we would just kind of surprise everybody with our guests and they would have no idea that they were even coming on. But this time I was like, hey, we're going to have Jesse Cotton on. Do you guys want to ask him anything? So uh, the first question is coming from one of our longest Patreon members, Quest. And he asks, which of your wins slash tops was the most difficult? Which was the most difficult? Um several tops where i played a terrible deck in retrospect <laughs> those were very hard like the 200th ycs my deck was not good what did you play uh, goki i'm uh, not goki uh dark, like phantom knight heroes they just gumblar dark law it was just the worst goki deck was what it was okay but um, that was that was, that was just a strict strict disadvantage um i, I topped but like it was very hard um <laughs> that's funny i remember nice those days start. Oh, god um yeah, there are probably funny. a couple other tops like that. Hardest win, then I'm assuming the, the UDS, one, right? Probably. Oh, really? Yes, 
my I had by far the hardest opponents in the UDS, but everyone submitted the worst decks for that tournament. And okay, I what did you win with? Ever. The UDS. But the thing with... is, I the, the, I swept the two other tournaments I won: the UDS and the YCS, the second YCS. Like I didn't lose a match. Oh so shit! Those didn't feel that hard. But um, the first one you said was it actually was, the nerves were higher. It's my first time traveling outside of North America for an event. Our worlds. First time, first time traveling like myself uh, overseas. Like I wasn't with my parents. Okay. Um, and I felt like pressure on me. Now I'd been to worlds. I had like more of a name. I had five tops at the time. So. Um, and, and all you needed was a win. That kind of cement. You but, yeah, I had, a, I had a lot more pressure, and then I wasn't as confident in my decisions either at the time. Yes. So I went against the mold. And I didn't come up with the idea to go second for spirals. I copied it from like Marcello, who got sec- who did the same thing the prior the prior YCS. Mm-hmm. But they all abandoned that strategy. I kind of went forward and refined that strategy more, and then trusted myself to do that at the YCS. When choosing second, the entire YCS is so scary when everyone oh, else wants to do it first. I can only imagine. I remember when the go second spiral decks were starting to become well. It was mainly because like like you said, Marcello and you popularized the whole go second thing but that shit is very scary because when you win the die roll and you now have the decision yeah you it's a have, big leap of faith right you you're have really to say it your, yourself yes i trusting when I, math you're trusting your deck it's so it's so difficult yes and i remember saying to myself when i made a go second deck i want to lose every die roll because i don't want to have to say it like i don't yeah. want my opponent to know that I want to go second. So I want them to win a die roll and just naturally say, I'm going first, right? And then you don't have to think about it. But every time I win a die roll, and mind you, when I would build a go second deck, I would win so many fucking die rolls. And I would always just stare for a second at my deck as I'm shuffling it. And my opponent's like, so you're starting? And I'm like, uh, actually you go first. And they're like, okay. Like, I'm like, sure. And it, it's yeah. very scary. But like you said, sometimes you just got to go out on a leap of faith and it worked out. So you got your first win by going, playing Go Second Spiral. And I'm assuming they play like Gamma and shit like that, like a bunch of hand traps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good idea. So that's your most difficult. That makes yeah, there sense. There were a, a couple other crazy things. They made that as well. Like that was the first tier zero format. I like properly competed in going to events. I played only spirals at events except for two other decks. Um, my top eight feature is really interesting if you watch it. I, I, I go open up three ghost reapers in my hand versus the only one of the only non spirals I didn't play the whole weekend, so it was against invoked. Oh my god, and I remember discarding it to get rid of a decode talker and then resort puts it back in the deck and I draw it for turn again. So I remember <laughs> my hand was like two resorts and four ghost reapers. <laughs> oh my god, and you ended up obviously you ended up winning. The, won this, that game and it was crazy and then in the finals it was three quick fixes like the commentator and both were live stream so the future the future matches the commentators were joking like i can't can't stop drawing triples and not good triples but yeah so this sounds familiar because i don't know if people remember billy break yeah, when he billy. won his second time at ycs columbus 2011 uh he played against alistair in the finals i remember being there and he opened up triple reborn tengu and i'm pretty sure that was like game three at that but he opened up Triple Reborn Tengu, which is one of the worst possible cards yeah. you could open up because the Reborn Tengu is mandatory. So if it leaves the field, it has the to trigger. Knows. <laughs> and it, yes, so that's the thing. If it leaves the field, it has to trigger. Your opponent will immediately know once they kill one Reborn Tengu with like a Thunder King or some shit, they'll immediately know when you don't get a second one that you have literally two other ones in your hand. So it's like the worst case scenario, that type of card. Like at least 
Some other cards, if you draw a triplicate of, you can kind of like it's kind of disguised. Your opponent doesn't know. Um, but with Reborn Tangle specifically, it is a it, I've never draw like triple tour guide or anything else, right? But like that card is fucking terrible to draw three of. And he drew the worst, it, yeah. But he won. Probably only thing worse is three Mali. Like, yes, three Mali is oh fucking my god. Oh god. But yes, three Reborn Tangle, and he ended up winning and got his second win back to back. And it's like super iconic moment in Yu-Gi-Oh!'s history. But yeah, so you also were able to win an event by opening up triplicate of cards throughout the top cut which is crazy especially yeah like, ghost, ghost reaper times four is insane the the uh, times four is what really got me i almost thought i didn't draw for turn for a second <laughs> i'm like wait I'm like, god damn it oh my god uh this this question is a little shady but i'm gonna ask it anyway on behalf of hydro pump who submitted it it says who is the easiest top level player you ever beat like this I'm not gonna answer this that, that, because it's kind of mean. <laughs> that's what I was okay. I'm glad. I'm glad that we're on the same page. I was like, I don't even know how I feel about this question because, like, this is yeah. Let's the only just, thing I, I could possibly say is someone I was close enough to that they wouldn't mind me. Yes, like them, they would but, be like, okay, it's funny, but even still, like, I, I totally, I, I totally understand. If I have answer to answer. I'll say Furman. <laughs> Sure, because I know you guys are close, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, yeah, this question is low. It was just like shady, but I was like, I'm going to ask it. But if he doesn't answer this one, it is what it is. Anyways, uh, next one is your theory on having a higher deck count when spreading out bricks. This one comes from Alexander Brissett. So basically, he's just wondering, like, players are going away from 40 cards lately. And I think that you are also one of the players who no longer has been playing 40, right? Like, you've been playing yeah. more. Um, I feel like I was one of the people to kind of lead the charge with that. Um, and it's kind of building upon what past players have talked about, like focusing on the math. And it makes sense that at a base level, 40 is the most consistent, so you should play 40. That is the most mathematically correct. But as the game evolves and we put these like engine requirements in our deck, 40 may no longer provide the most consistent deck. So as long as you can rationalize the, the math on your deck is better at a higher count, then higher count is what makes sense, not 40. Following the actual logic and not just your... Uh, intuition so okay if you're adding five more cards in your deck that are all good cards to your deck and not bricks then every the chance of drawing hand traps goes up and the chance of drawing combo pieces goes up the only thing that goes down like to make up for that difference is the chance of bricking and from that perspective that makes those that that choice correct interesting um there's other reasons like other caveats there one, the cards you're adding have to be of equal quality to the cards in your deck already. If they're not, then the decreased card quality kind of skews those stats. That makes that perfect sense overlook. to me. That last thing you just said, the, the card quality has to be equivalent or like really high for it to make sense. Otherwise, like why the fuck are you putting in worse cards? Because yeah. why not just cut the worst cards in your deck, right? That's always what people used to say. And then you can't also be like the, the diminishing card quality, right? So if there's like hand traps and you want to increase your deck count to lower the bricks, so you add more hand traps and more combo pieces, keeping that ratio constant and the only thing changing is the bricks. However, if the hand traps you're adding are significantly worse than the ones you already had in your deck, it's not actually fixing the problem. Your hands are just going to get, aren't going to actually get better. Um, inverse can work if your extenders you're adding worse. Like if you're adding, you need level five extenders. If you had a cyber dragon and a solar windjammer, now you add tricky and quick draw, which require you to discard. Those are just worse. So you're not actually improving your deck in that sense. Um, another thing as well is if the format requires you to like get lucky with non-searchable cards like soul charge, red reboot. If those were very integral to your deck's success. There's no replacement for those. So you're just straight up decreasing your chance of drawing these bombs by right. putting more cards in your deck. So there are times where I played 40, um, and I played 36 for the UDS win with the three into the voids and the upstart. 
you have to in some in some formats. But in many formats of recent, you have very much and has made mathematical sense to go above forty. Um, the main thing to look at is just have a read like a logical reason and rationale behind each decision right, like in the game and in deck building. And um, okay. when I'm going above forty, it's with those precise reasons. Yeah, because I've noticed everyone who's been winning and doing well lately, honestly, has been playing more than 40 cards. Like, I saw Chris won with, I think, 43. I saw Hansel won with 43. Uh, you've gotten second with... How many did you play in Pasadena? Do you remember? 42. 42, and you played how many in Dortmund? Uh, 43. So you went up a card in Dortmund. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of non-searchable power cards that, like, you want to see, uh, Triple Tactics Talent, like, I, don't, I don't know... I don't know how people feel about that card outside of like I know Chris obviously stands by it. I think the card's fucking insane. Like Super Poly, uh, Triple Tactics, those cards are not searchable, and or not they're not searchable by any reasonable means. Let's just say they are searchable for the people who are like, oh, technically, like no. But but I feel there. But the thing is, this is the reason I'm okay with going about forty is I feel there are other cards that are of equivalent power that I can keep adding to yes. bolster my. I like like the percentages for drawing cards. Right. I think Talents is a good card, but I think it is no better than a Magnum Mutt or a Jewish Worm or Super Poly. I don't even think Super Poly is that good right now, but or better than um uh what are the other like the power spell or power cards? Orange Light's really strong. I think that one's like really over like over or underappreciated right now. Yes, I heard. I was listening um, to Joshua Schmidt's deck profile, and he talked about how he thought Orange Light was insane. Um, it's just Solemn Strike, like, but I don't have to set it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not okay that is so when you put it like that that is so not okay <laughs> yeah and it and it has extra effects sometimes sometimes it comes with friends yeah it's also a tuner i just elf it back and make baron with it yeah like it, it does a little bit it does a little bit more it's kind of crazy um okay so that's a that's a fair answer on i didn't expect to get such a thorough answer on a higher deck count but that really helps because we have patrick Hoban on this podcast and obviously he was the progenitor of like upstar goblin and playing 37 cards or less, like getting your deck as small as possible, making it super efficient. But that was a much different time in Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, right? And that's part of where I built my ideas off of was yep. he did it with a reason, not just to have as, as few cards as possible. Right. And it kind of draws back to how some of my success has happened. One of the other things I didn't mention was I'm just naturally inquisitive. I want to understand how things work. Um, so really understanding why like Patrick would suggest something like that allows me to then remold it for the current like, mm -hmm. format evolve it yeah you've evolved it and it no longer and he his logic would probably still apply but he just wouldn't play 40 because or 39 because that's no longer the most mathematically sound yeah i mean i think it has because apparently he built chris leblanc's winning deck that's what chris said in the deck profile pat was sitting right next to him he was like pat built this deck Pat was right there smiling. And that deck was 43 cards. And I was like, wait, what? Pat built that deck? Pat built a 43-card deck? So that it's interesting that like it's not just a few people who are with the mindset that higher decks make sense right now. Um, it's also even older players like Patrick, who again was one of the progenitors of having a really, really small deck, but with reason. So yeah, very thorough answer on that. I appreciate that. Uh okay. Hydro Pump says, Does Jesse have an end goal with Yu-Gi-Oh that he wants to reach? Is it just Ash Ketchum? I want to be the very best that no one ever was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, world champion is definitely the end goal. From world sense, champion. But, I, mean, I wouldn't just. I wouldn't just stop playing after that. No, of course um, not. Ash is not. You think anime? My life. Ash just yeah. won world champion like this week. Like Ash Ketchum yeah, has I been know. Yeah. fucking. He's probably older than you by now. Ash literally. Yeah. 
<laughs> Ash just won world champion. And I'm pretty sure that Pokemon is not about to end. I don't think Pokemon's coming to an end at all. Well, I heard they're going to switch protagonists. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it would be cool if they do that, but I need Ash to make a, a cameo at some point older. Like, I would like an Absolutely. older an older Ash. He needs to be, like, in the Elite Four and be an insane figurehead in the Pokemon sick, yeah. world. He needs to be that. But that would, that would be cool. But yes, Ash is not going to be done with Pokemon, right? So if you win yeah. Worlds, it's not like the, oh, my journey's over. Like, I won Worlds. But it is cool yeah. that you have a quantifiable goal like that, where it's like, I specifically want to win Worlds. Like, I want to be a world champion because, honestly, that is a true goal to aspire to. It's so high. It's so hard to do on top of everything else. Like, it's very hard to do, clearly. Uh, yeah. And yeah, so that's a really good goal. That's a good end goal. Uh, do you have any memorable comebacks? This one is from Omnimitsu Gladiator. Like, any comebacks? I mean, I would honestly say you, you kind of already answered this with the fucking four times uh, cherries in your hand. Like, that, that had to be a comeback. But um, yeah. if you can think of any other matches where, like, you were probably not supposed to win. But my match versus Minov to go to Worlds in 2019, the Worlds Points playoff, we, when we talked about with Utopia Double, where okay. I brick on the first turn and then I set up an MST full house combo to wipe out all's backer after you did a strong start and then top deck engaged to get back in the game and then Utopia doubled them. Ouch. <laughs> that one was nice. After game two, going down game one and game two, also getting a sneak kill with Utopia Double, you didn't see coming. That sounds sick. I was probably, so this is 2019, you said, right? So I was there for that. Yeah, I, I remember watching this again, me watching you play a deck that I knew for a fact that I was like, this is not the deck that he wants to play for sure. But like, you have a goal in mind, got to do what you got to do. But yeah, that is, that sounds fucking nuts. The full, full house. Oh my God, that card's disgusting. That card is so disgusting. Yeah, I was already playing Trap Trick for uh, Metaverse and Sanctum. So I'm like, you know what? Versus these back card decks, full house probably goes crazy. So, and it was, I did it versus Cody 2 in top eight of that tournament. How does or it work? It says, it says like target two face up and three face down. Yeah. Yeah. So like versus Manav, I went target his multi roll, my MST, MST, one of his face downs, hit the other three face downs. He loses five cards. I, I lose two. <sighs> like that's the type of swing you need when you're behind. Yes. That is not okay. That's absurd. That sounds amazing. So, speaking of worlds, things and stuff like that, Vinny Casello asks, uh, I want to know what the world's point grind was like traveling to all those regionals and such. So it was a bit different for the first... Actually, every year has been different. Um, the first year, it was... Uh, the points grind was for um, US and Canada separately. So I wasn't competing with Jeff, Jones, Asala, or Billy. The three oh, that kind of went for it that year. Yeah. I was competing with Matt Vandenhuvel. We actually kept very close points to the Americans did. But they still hadn't solved the system either. Um, and I wasn't fully traveling the same way I would in the later years. Or, I mean, specifically the year after. Right. Wasn't that bad. My dad was very supportive. He drove me to regionals that were within a driving distance of ten hours, um, which is pretty far, but nothing ridiculous. Yes. So, um, quick question: did, If you went to a regional in the United States, did it count for points it for you? Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. And I, there were no region locks there. Even South America counted too. Oh or, my or god! And quick question on top of that: So you were competing with one other person mainly in Canada. Were only one of you able to qualify? Like there was only one spot. Only one, yeah. Okay, for you guys so, had two spots and you had three people racing. We had two people racing for one spot. Okay, so that's yeah, that's crazy. That is actually crazy. I just so, want to say real quick, I want to I want to give a shout out to your dad because you said your oh, dad, dad would drive you yeah. to a regional. 
that was within ten hours. Nothing, cr- nothing crazy. I'll share. And I just, I just well, want I'll you share. to know yeah. it is that crazy, but yeah. Ninety-nine percent of dads, as supportive and loving as they are, are not being like, "Yeah, I'm gonna drive ten hours to take you to this card game tournament." Like, shout out to Mister Cotton. Yeah. Oh no, he, he's he's goaded for sure. Your dad I'll share is- a funny story with him. Go ahead. After, okay. Um, so yeah, the first year wasn't like ridiculous grind. And I'm only, I'm only saying it like that because the next year is when I got kind of batshit crazy. Um, what changed? I was, my dad was no longer helping me. Like he helped a little bit, but like sparingly because I was out of high school now at that point. I yeah. just graduated high school. And um, I was more figuring out for myself. It's my own financials I had to focus on. I had to, uh, I didn't drive into a car. I was going to get to regionals now. But also now I fully had control for planning. I wouldn't have to like go on my dad's schedule. Mm-hmm. I fully focused on optimizing points. And now I was competing with the Americans. This year it was two people go and it was US and Canada combined. So I was competing with wow. everyone. So yeah, they crazy. They combined US and Canada and then they lowered the amount of slots. Because you said before US had two slots and Canada Canada. Canada. So yeah, it was just so, two spots and yeah. Wow. So that's when I started doing the crazy stuff. Like when I started, I met Fraser. I met Fraser just at the start of the season because I just joined PPG. Yep. Uh, Dale's recommendation. Um, I did stuff like take a bus down to Philly overnight, arrive eight a.m. at the regionals, sleep overnight on Fraser's couch, and then the next day fly out, fly out in the five in the morning to regional or to Chicago. Then like Marcus Hayden would pick me up from Chicago to drive two hours to Wisconsin and play the regional there. That was probably the dumbest one I did. That was. I felt like death, and I would not do that again. I was also after that I had to bust back from there. None, they, none, oh, very few of them were that bad, but there were a couple that were crazy lengths I go to to maximize the opportunity to give myself points. I remember you coming over, and I would say to you, like, where are you going tomorrow? Because it would be regionals would be Saturday in Philly. Philly's always yeah. Saturday. It never is Sunday. So Philly would be Saturday. I'm like, okay, so I know you're going somewhere on Sunday. And you would tell me a location, like Wisconsin or whatever, and I'm like, that is fucking crazy. Like, the idea mm. that you are standing in front of me right now and you're going to be in Wisconsin tomorrow and you came from Canada like it's it was a lot like that was that, yeah that's what I talk about where I'll do what I need to get done when yes. I have something in mind yeah and that was rough and honestly I would not do that again I've achieved it and I and it changed world points again but that fostered a very unhealthy kind of lifestyle because yeah. I was traveling non-stop it was expensive um, yeah, and it's all your body too. It's very, very like tiring. Yeah, like I'm constantly eating out, and I'm also not eating at good places because no. it's like I'm only chance, only time I have is midnight stuff. So it's McDonald's, Denny's type things. Yep. Yeah, so but it's it's rough. Yeah. The good thing is you did it while you were young, right? You're you're still very young, but you did it while you were really young, and so you can recover from like all of that stuff, right? Because like my thirty year old ass, I'm not you will not catch me going from here to California, then flying to Chicago the next day after that. Like that's just insane. Um, First of all, I can't imagine Fraser eating green tomatoes from Denny's. So <laughs> <laughs> I will not be eating. I when's the, yeah, I don't eat Denny's per se, but I do like, so I like Applebee's now and I didn't used to, I used to call it, well, we still call it Crapplebee's, but like Silverman has gotten us to go to Applebee's a couple times after locals on Thursday nights when we play, we play like Edison and we'll go to Crapplebee's after. And at first I was like, Oh my God, why the fuck are we going here? We're too old for this. We shouldn't be eating here. This place is terrible. And it is, but like I found stuff on a menu that I don't mind now. So I, I will give one shout out to Applebee's. They, uh, they're very accommodating. 
to people with allergies. They're actually one of the restaurants that like kind of do it the best. I don't have any allergies. I just know this from family. Okay, I'm about to say because I don't have any food allergies either, but I don't mind Applebee's because they have the lava cake, like the, the molten cake or whatever. I get that shit every time. And they also have the meal I get, and it never has failed me, is the sizzling chicken and shrimp. Really, really good. Um, but yeah, I know what it's like to just eat terrible for a long time and uh, the toll it takes on you and also like sleeping on couches and all that stuff. Like it's a lot. It's a lot. But it's a young man's game. Like that regionals grind was a young man's game. And it's a story that you will have forever. And you were all successful yeah. in doing it. Right. You went three years. Would, in a row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the third year they changed it. And it's the kind of the same way it is now where it's top 16 and then you play for the spot. So I kind of talked about playing went off in that playoff. Yeah. And top 16 points is so much more attainable that you don't need to grind. The year that I qualified, uh, like the third year, it was, I was in the 17th until two months before, and I kind of just chilled and was only playing local regionals and YCSs and was getting kind of far. And then for the last two months, after my school semester finished, it blitzed two months of hardcore, but even uh, only two months was not that bad. Right. Um, and I did more than I had to. I ended up in like sixth. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you like you, yeah. You basically saying you overshot it a little bit, but you just want to be sure you locked it in. I just want to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, well, I book ahead of time as well, so I had already committed. Right, right. Um, that makes that makes sense. So I, I like the idea of that. So you think that the new way, the top sixteen way, is the most healthy, right? I wish that it wasn't single elim for the actual tournament they play at nationals. Considering we have the whole day, I wish they just did double elim. That would be perfect. Mm, oh, that sounds but, so good. Double elim would be. I've been playing double elimination when I play Edison stuff online, and I do like the idea of double elimination. I like that you know your exact bracket, right? Like I like that you know if I beat this person, I'm playing Manav next. If I beat the, if I beat Manav, I am playing this person next. Or, yeah, you know. we knew that um, for the last one as well. But a single elim means like you just get unlucky and you're just out. Yes. Yep. And Yu-Gi-Oh obviously has some variance in it, so things can happen. You can draw cherries four times and actually not win. Um, so yeah, I I 100 agree. I would like double elimination and maybe Konami. I, I highly doubt that you guys listen to this, but if anyone from Konami is, please so- make a double elim. It did change it, but they changed it to now it's Swiss four rounds and then top four and then the top two get to go. So it's pretty much I cut off the top four, which means one X one misses, which is terrible. Oh, no. Like they're going to be sick. Oh, um, no. And then then one more match. So the guy who most like, yeah, that's oh, my God. I, well, the person who goes four of them loses four one like everyone else isn't going to go is going to be sick. They lost the one match they batted the most. Yeah. The one against fifth is going to be sick. Oh my gosh. All right. I don't even want to think about that. That's too much negativity for me. Uh, (laughs) All right. So that's the world's grind. Uh, When is worlds coming back anyway? Like, do we know? It should be next year. Yeah. So they canceled last year's worlds and what they're doing is they did the top 16 points again. Um, But they're going to do instead of 32 players, I think. So 16 that already qualified from the previous season. And now there's a new season going on now. And I'll combine those. So probably 32 now, 32 players, Swiss top eight. I guess. I don't know. They haven't fully fleshed it out. Okay. Well, good luck on that. Um, you. And so we have another question from Hydro Pump here. It says, life outside of Yu-Gi-Oh, which I think you've done a good job of just giving us that throughout this entire podcast. You said you major in economics. You are very close to finishing your degree. Um, you also, like, you go to Costa Rica, you have a tour coin, you go into a fucking volcano, uh, all type <laughs> stuff. So I kind of get your life outside of Yu-Gi-Oh. So I think that one is kind of answered. I don't know if you want to add anything to it, but I think uh, I mean, that's pretty much it. Between all those three things, like Yu-Gi-Oh! school and work, it's most of my life. Like, I, I take, a, take off Saturdays to go spend time with local friends, but yeah. almost every other day, spoken for for work or, or school. Yeah, and when you say work, you mean, like, the TCG player store stuff? 
Yeah. Okay. Fair. I mean, I do I do it pretty like large scale, so yes. Okay. Full time job. Yep. Yep. Sounds good to me. I I have a friend, my best friend, actually. That's what he does as well, and he earns his complete living through it. So it's nice. Uh, all right. So and we have the last question here. Who has had the biggest impact on your Yu Gi Oh career, like playing? And I'm just going to say this now. This I mean, person, my dad, I, but... right? So I was going to say, <laughs> excluding your dad, because I already knew going by how long we've been an hour and twelve minutes in now. Your dad would uh, is the obvious answer, but I think that this person, yeah. I think Quest is asking. He was asking with the intention of like, is there a Yu Gi Oh player that maybe when you were younger or somebody that you've watched? And maybe even might be your peer now, right? Because whoever is, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're goaded at this point. But like, who has had the biggest impact on your playing career outside of your dad? Because your dad is number one, no question, zero difficulty. He beats the whole bracket. He solos it. <laughs> Probably Billy. Um, so my first YCS, I know YCSs were until I kind of just showed up to one because I heard it about the locals mm-hmm. in 20. Billy won that, um, and that was like huge to me. But then also, like, while I was there, I met two kids from the States, from the East Coast. Uh, you probably know them, Frazier, Nicole Tipple, Vinny Silverman. Uh, you know, of maybe, course I, you know I, know, both. I know exactly who they are. Um, and they were Dragon Duels at the time, like myself. And my dad talked to their dad and then kind of, like, got convinced to take me to the Columbus YCS, which was eight-hour drive for me. Mm-hmm. Billy also won that Billy <laughs> wins that. So that's the thing. My two first-ever events, Yu-Gi-Oh! was really growing on me as a game, and I'm finally, like, starting to play more and more. And, like, he's just this crazy guy who wins both back to back and that that's was fucking insane. insane for that to be your like introduction to ycs is, is the same was guy. Billy winning back to back yes and billy was already considered one of the best players period before he even had a win like he was already doing because he was top fouring a lot he was just losing top four yeah um so he was bubbling basically before the win like he was bubbling right under the grand finals and right under winning and then to just go boom back to back like for example in 2011 i did duel of master for Konami and Indianapolis. It was at Gen Con 2011. It was me and Billy Brick. I had a win. Billy did not have a win at the time. Billy is now a four-time YCS champion. So it's fucking crazy to me to watch. Like after Indianapolis, because we obviously didn't get to play in that YCS. We were doing Duel of Master. After Indianapolis, I'm pretty sure was Toronto. Yep. And he wins. And then he wins Columbus. So there's yeah. such a cool... I love how like small the world is because... At the same time as like Billy getting his first wins, here's here are you as a kid who's currently one of the best players in Yu-Gi-Oh! and currently one of the best players to ever play the game. But here's you as a kid being inspired by this moment that I when I sat next to Billy and we were playing Duel Master, he told me about how he wanted to win so bad. And he was like yearning for it. And I don't know, you could just tell by listening to the way he spoke about winning that it was the thing that would mean the most to him in life. Like he just wanted it so bad at that master at that master duel um or duel of master rather and he goes to do it and it inspires you who goes on to become one of the best players of all time it's just such an interesting story like i I love shit like that it's really crazy how life works but uh yeah that's awesome to know and also insane how old were you when billy won in 2011 go back 11 11 years you were 11 wow Wow, wow, wow. Uh, real quick, I wrote this down as you were talking about it, but you mentioned that the UDS belt expires. Do, do we know when? Uh, so before COVID, that said 2025. I'm not sure if I'll update that because of the lack of events, but mm. wait on Konami to see. Okay, that's that's a pretty good amount of time, though. 2025, even if like, you yeah. know, I hope they do extend it longer, but even I if think they the said, free entry is permanent, which I kind of like. <laughs> oh, that doesn't change. Money. Yeah. Oh wow, that's nuts! Free entry for in perpetuity is crazy. Uh, do they still do the thing where they don't give you the packs though? 
No, they give me the packs still. Or regionals they don't, but at the YCSs they do. Okay. I just want to say, Konami, stop being cheap. Give this man, give everybody who has UDS belt, if they go to regionals, give them the packs. Like it's not they will well, not... It's, it's on the it's on the TO, that's why. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Fair, fair, fair. It, it says the it says up to the TO's discretion, and yep. I'm not gonna force the TOs to give it to me. Oh, oh, often not. remind them you don't have to do it. And they're like, okay. Okay. That's cool though. I like I like honestly, that. They will give it to me unless I remind them. Yes. So that is cool though, that it is a thing that you know, if you do grind, at least you get your five packs. You might pack a starlight. A starlight could literally pay for something <laughs> trip yeah uh so that's pretty legit i don't really think i have much else to ask you i think that this is honestly as far as information goes this is easily one of our best Yu-Gi-Oh guests we've ever had like and i i just fully did not expect you to have so much to say on every question but you you're really informative really well knowledgeable and it makes sense considering you know just your prestige your prestige I mean, in this game been in the game for 17 years yep You've been in it as long as me, which is crazy because I am much older than you. I'm not going to say exactly how much older than you, but I am much older than you. <laughs> and so the fact that when you said 05, I just started thinking to myself like, holy shit, I was playing in 05. Like, granted, I was terrible in 05, but like I played in 05. Better than me. <laughs> yes. Probably, but like not even guaranteed though. Honestly, like not even guaranteed. I was awful in 05. So... Yeah, this is this is really uh, wholesome, and just hearing about your dad and just how much of a support system oh. you had and everything. I did say I had a story. You did my, yep. about my dad. Um, so my dad almost topped YCS Providence, the one that Chris won. LeBlanc, that's his first win. He twenty twelve X two going into round eleven of the YCS. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's favorite decks are Chainburn and Lightsworn. Um, oh God. he likes pissing off his opponent oh no I have another story I want to talk about him but um, <laughs> he uh, <laughs> he uh, he loves so Marshmallow was his like, favorite card in the deck because uh-huh. it did burn and it was a light for light rays <laughs> yeah. and I told him to take it out of his deck and he said okay and then without telling me put it back in his deck before the YCS I didn't know it was in his deck and I see him playing with it and he goes like 6-0 starts off hot that's insane, by the way. For your dad to be fucking 6-0, it's crazy. He doesn't know what any other cards does. He knows what his cards do, and that's it. He doesn't care. <laughs> okay. Which is going to be his detriment. Um, <laughs> uh, he gets the last round in the game three situation. His opponent has two Gyrgyz X in the field and a Fortress. That's it. No cards in field. Other cards in field, no cards in hand. That is three Lightshorns in Grave, a Jane in hand, which would be the fourth name, a JD, and a Marshmallow. He can crash Jane, summon JD, blow up the field, win the game, he tops. Or he can set his favorite card face down and pass. Ah, yes. Which he does. He sets his favorite card face down, and his opponent searches with Gyrgyz X twice, makes powerful imperative, flips it up, and kills him. Wow. And it, and it was 100% game if he just crashed Jane. Well, he puts his opponent top-hacking into a JD. Right, which, which is, is which, really, really hard, especially with Gyrgyz. Yes. For all intents and purposes, that is usually going to be game. Now, Gyrgyz X, does, it, does he recur stuff if he dies? I forget. It does, but JD is not once per turn, so it doesn't matter. Oh, he puts it on a field. He doesn't put it in your hand. So yes, it yeah, does, it, it does brings not back the MK one. Yeah. Okay. Also, yeah, that's that's insane. So your dad could have actually. To- he says he Dang. spared me the embarrassment of him topping before me. <laughs> that's what his excuse is. Yo, that is actually kind of a fire thing because honestly, 
low key he might be like obviously he's he's joking. <laughs> he definitely you definitely did not realize but. yes but imagine <laughs> if low key your dad was that nuts that he knew like i could top this right now and he just goes uh, yeah. i'll set marshmallow on and pass and he just like smiles at you and, like, <laughs> <laughs> as like you are looking and i was rooting see, for him i got visibly upset when my dad did it and he looked at me he was very confused Oh man, this sounds like some anime shit, by the way. Like, this sounds crazy. Sounds like Gon's dad or something from uh, Hunter x Hunter. Okay, so your dad could have topped. You at the time had no tops, right? Oh, I was 12. I had no, I, no, I was, okay. I went like two, three that tournament. I just want to make sure because so some, some people start really early, like Austin Coleman. I think he won nationals at like 11. So I wasn't wanted, that crazy. No, my I, first I, top I, yeah. was 2015. Okay, just wanted to make sure that I knew. Oh, 2015. Okay, I was still playing at the time. Was it BA? Yeah. Ah, yes, I knew. I was around for your first top. Okay, your first top is BA. What exact is Beatrice out at that time or no? No, it was the 2015. It was, I lost a drill on top 16 of the WCQ. Okay. Top 16 of uh, the WCQ. So 2015, 2015. Yeah, it was the year. Tennessee, National Tennessee. Yeah, Nashville. Yep, I was there. That was the worst Nationals I've ever done in my life. I think I went 2 3. That, I had topped four straight. So from 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, I topped every single one of those. And 2015, I showed up with Necros, Genlock Necros. I think Genlock was still legal. I showed, was, up, yeah. I showed up with Genlock Necros. Me and McCabe had this idea that we were going to do double Genlock, I think, or some weird shit. Like we were playing, I forget what we were doing, but we were doing some crazy shit as we often do. And everyone at that tournament had their deck so anti necros that round one i played a guy and he's just like summon thunder king set three back row go draw phase flip mistake flip anti-spell flip imperial iron wall and i literally looked at him and said holy shit why did you flip mistake and you are i was like i get that your deck is like super anti my deck but why did you have to go this hard he was like i just hate your deck so much and i was like holy like every round i played was miserable i've yeah, never I seen anything like it that's what my 150th was life with like with Necros, so I switched to BA, and that's <laughs> helped me a lot. <laughs> yeah, clearly. So yeah, you had a similar experience where people were just yeah. I didn't play around. I, did, I three rounds in a row. I just didn't play a card, and I'm like, I'm sick of this. Yep, same thing happened to me. I went two and three, and honestly, the two rounds that I won, one was actually Roy St. Clair, God rest his soul. Um, and he's playing Satellar Knight, which was the fairest deck I played the entire day because yeah. everyone else just flooded me out. At least he was like summoned in upset four. And I was like, okay, even that deck, what they were, what they were doing, like at least in Chicago a couple months before that, they're going like evolve all chain, send spell canceler, <laughs> like Christia, and then call the haunted it back. <laughs> yes. Or dragon souls oasis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was not that nationals was so miserable. I only beat two people. I got destroyed by three people. One of the guys, I'm pretty sure he's from Baltimore. I've beaten him for like 10 years before that. Like every time we have ever played in a regional or any event, I've destroyed him every time. And he finally got a win on me. And I remember him like breaking down into prayer after I beat him, taking a picture of the slip. It was fucking insane. But anyways, thank you so much, Jesse, for joining us on the I'm There podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. Honestly, I did not expect this to be as insane as it was. This is probably honestly like top top two and it's not number two for me um so yeah i really 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 enjoyed this interview a lot and i wish you much success in the future i hope that you get uh you. more finals and more wins and everything that i want you to win worlds i want you to do it all man i want you to do it all i'm a fan of of mr cotton mr cotton's the man home he's uh prepping the barbecue ring a family barbecue tonight a bit he, nice. nice that's awesome yeah your dad's awesome man um but yeah good luck if you want to give a shout out to anything if you have any like social medias or your metafire anything you want to give a shout out to feel free to do so 
Uh, sure. So, spon- a shout out to my sponsor, Luxury Gaming. They help me a lot with affording travel, and that's really all I can ask for as a competitive player. Yep. Um, if you want to follow me, you can check out my Twitter. It's just my name. Um, I post tournament updates in there if you want to follow how I'm doing at the tournaments and you're not seeing my name on the stream. Um, as well as I do a lot of collabs with Team Samurai X1 for his YouTube channel, and I'll talk about that on Twitter there as well. Okay. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, this is the Abner Podcast featuring Jesse Cotton. I hope you all enjoyed this one. And if you are interested and when we have future guests on and we will have some returning guests, if you're interested in doing the question segment that we did for this one first time, join our Discord server, which you can join through our Patreon, even at the lowest tier, which is only three bucks. You can join. You get access to our Discord server forever, like unless you obviously do something crazy in there. But so far, that has not happened. Thank God. Uh, But yeah, you get access to our Discord server and that will allow you to propose questions for us to ask our guests which a lot of people are actually interested in so yeah that's the thing that you like check that out uh also as i always say guys do the things that make you happy including grinding for worlds and one day aspiring to be a world champion we're out of here see ya Thank you.